1: I have one thing to say, which is that Chubby Lou is a sexy little bitch. I don't know why I'm saying that. Um, I got an email from a guy who asked me to say it and said it would lighten up his sad little life. So there you go, Chubby Lou, you're a sexy little bitch. I hope you're happy now. Uh, and I hope this does not lead to an avalanche of people asking me to say weird shit on the podcast. I say enough weird shit as it is on this podcast. Have you not noticed? This is a very special episode. Um, you may, if you're a long-time listener, you may remember that episode 100 was with Casilda Jetta, my wife, and... More importantly, my friend, my pal, my partner, and crime, many crimes have been committed, both against the state and uh, civilization in general. Uh, But in any case, she is um, in a very pivotal moment of her life, as you will hear. And uh, I'm happy to report that I received a text this morning that she has arrived safe and sound in Iquitos, Peru, uh, and is waiting for her room to be cleaned at the hotel even as I speak to you. And she's exhausted because she hasn't slept in 24 hours or whatever it's been. Um, but she's fine. So you'll, that'll all make sense to you when you hear this episode. You'll understand why she's in Iquitos and what she's doing and so on and so forth. You won't understand why Chubby Lou is a sexy little bitch, but then neither do I. So what are you going to do? Uh, yeah, I don't know what else. Uh, th- this is, I got to say, this is uh, uh, difficult for me. This This is an area where you may have noticed I have some conflicts. Um, I am by nature uh, tend to talk too much as has been pointed out occasionally in the comment section. Sometimes people will write in and say, Hey, I love the podcast, but uh, how about if you shut the fuck up and let your guests talk? And I get that. You're right. I uh, when I get excited. I tend to yammer more than I should. Um, and I also talk too much in the sense of I share things that maybe uh, would be better not sharing. Um, I'm uh, by nature I, I sort of like to throw everything out on the table and have no secrets. It's been my approach to life, and generally it serves me pretty well. I think um, if the government ever decides to come for me, they won't have any trouble finding <laughs> things to uh, investigate. I'm not, uh, yeah, they'll find me pretty quickly. And um, But, uh, you know, I, um, uh, I I've always felt that there's a lot of value in being candid and transparent. And this podcast has sort of taken that, personal approach to life to a whole different level, uh, which I never really thought through, to be honest with you. I, I, um, you know, the podcast started whatever it was four or five years ago now, uh, in the context of my budding friendship with Duncan Trussell and Joe Rogan, and then Moshe Kasher and Jake Johansson, and this whole sort of comedy community that I've been adopted into um which I have to say is just an incredible honor for me um because it's a very tight-knit family and they're very um specific kind of characteristics that are valued by that community and and it makes me very it touches me that um you know those guys feel, and women, Nikki Glaser and uh, Natasha Legero and anyway, the, the point is that I, it's a community I'm really happy and proud to be part of, and, and I feel comfortable in, and one of the things about that community is that people are extremely transparent, and they love to just dump their weird shit out on the table, and then laugh about it with their friends, and that's one of the things that is sort of a bar to entry for civilians that, um, you know, civilians get freaked out by that stuff and they don't want to do that or they don't know how to, um, be that shameless. And, um, yeah, it comes naturally to me. It's always been my approach way before it was cool to talk about psychedelics. I, was telling everybody, including my parents, friends at fucking cocktail parties that I was uh, a big fan of psychedelics and felt that they were very useful in uh, an educational context when used with respect and, um, and moderation. And uh, you know, I was very open about my life, my sexual life being, something other than what most people would have considered normal, um, despite the fact that I'm a cisgendered white man, you know, heterosexual and all that. So I don't claim any great uh, courage in, you know, compared to someone who's bi or gay or, you know, whatever, who has serious gender identity um, qualities that, that... far harder for society to take than you know my little weirdnesses um so i'm not saying i'm i'm not holding myself up to be any fucking paragon of virtue but i do feel very uh comfortable in being very open about stuff and yet and that's translated into the podcast. It's I hope it's translated into the quality of the conversations that I have on this podcast. I, I think that's probably one of the reasons, judging by the emails I get from people, that a lot of people enjoy listening to this because issues come up that wow, you don't hear people talk about that stuff um often. And so that's a big part of the trajectory and as the podcast started in the context of these friendships with comedians I just sort of naturally started you know it just became part of the podcast that I would just say shit without thinking and um, yeah I never really thought of it that way I never thought that would be the point of the podcast To you know the whole shame exorcism stuff I mean I never that was never an intentional quality of this but it's become a central aspect of it now the reason i'm talking about all this is that on the other hand i also want to protect the privacy of other people who didn't sign up for this so you know, you may have noticed that I I speak very openly about, you know, jerking off, taking a shit, you know, whatever, you know, Duncan and I get into crazy conversations or, you know, and, and there's no holds barred, but uh when it comes to discussing my marriage with Casilda for example or I think I've mentioned maybe once that my dad's health isn't so good, and that's one of the reasons that I'm based in L.A. these days. And um, you know, But I don't feel comfortable talking about those things in depth, partly because I'm assuming you're not listening to this podcast to hear the details of my personal life, but also because, you know, Casilda didn't sign up for this and my dad didn't sign up for this and my friends didn't you know sign any sort of um, waiver of their own privacy and discretion by hanging out with me so I try to walk the line between sharing as openly as I can about my own stuff but um, maintaining some discretion about the lives of the people whose lives intersect with mine, if that makes sense. Um, and you know, Casilda and I have been playing with, or not playing with it, but uh, thinking about this conundrum for a long time now, because when Sex of Dawn came out and we decided that we were going to be co-authors of the book, um, you know, immediately it, it occurred to us that if the book hit at all and we got any media coverage, which, you know, who knew at that point, um, that one of the questions we were going to get was, you know, what's your marriage like? What are you guys, are you monogamous or are you are you swingers? Are you, you know, hanging out in orgies, you know, what's your deal? And <laughs> excuse me, we, um, you know, we talked about how we were going to handle that. And we decided that uh, we weren't going to talk about the details of our relationship, partly because it's nobody's business, really. Um, You know, the fact that we wrote a book about the scientific evidence that seemed to suggest that our ancestors were not predominantly sexually monogamous doesn't mean that we have to talk about, our private lives. Um, Although some journalists didn't accept that argument. I remember one guy from the Boston Globe just pushed and pushed and pushed. And, you know, my stock answer was and is, uh, our research informs our relationship. So, you know, take from that what you want. And the only thing that we ever advocate is that people be honest with themselves and each other. We never advocated um non-monogamy for anyone we just all we ever advocated was you know this is this appears to be what our species is and this appears to be what our evolutionary past was and so take that into account when you're talking and thinking and judging yourself and one another that's it that's all we ever advocated Um, but this one journalist from the Boston Globe was like, come on, you know, you can't do this. You can't write a book about saying monogamy is unnatural and then refuse to answer questions about your marriage. And And he was just really fucking pushy. And I I got frustrated. I said, Hey, if I'd written a book about prostate cancer, would that give you the right to stick your finger up my ass? (laughs) Phone went dead. The guy just stopped in his tracks and he was like, yeah. All right, Dr. Ryan, thank you. Bye. Click. Um anyway, why the fuck am I telling you that? Man, I go off on tangents within tangents within tangents. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh the point is we've been trying to be available as the authors of Sexaton, or at least I have, while still maintaining discretion. Uh, For Casilda, that was important, A, because she's just a much more discreet person than I am. She's, if you ever, if any of you have met her or you're lucky enough to have a chance to hang out with her, you see that she's totally unguarded and in person as transparent or more than I am. Uh, But in terms of media, she's much more reticent. And, um, withdrawn. And part of that is because as a psychiatrist, she needed to maintain a certain sort of neutrality. So her patients didn't know too much about her life. And cause that interferes with the therapeutic, uh, interaction. Um, and part of it's just, she's a woman and, and women have to be more careful. Uh, you know, especially women in, um, uh, professions where they get judged a lot and uh, and she's a brown woman and she's you know she's got a lot she's carrying a lot of weight that I'm not carrying as a middle-aged white dude Um, and so we're more careful about her uh, which has led to some funny situations I mean you may have heard me say this before but there were people who thought that she didn't exist that that my publisher and I had invented this very convenient brown multiracial MD psychiatrist uh, to give cover to my cisgender heteronormative blah 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 and um, so we were actually accused of having invented her she didn't exist someone from Australia sent me these angry emails accusing us of having invented her and And I was trying to be all Aikido and like, hey, you know, I I really like that you're thinking critically and you're questioning stuff and all that. But, you know, we've been married for eight years and, you know, she definitely exists. But, uh, hey, thank you and good luck. And And the woman wrote back and said, oh, well, if she exists, have her call me at 7 a.m. tomorrow, Melbourne time. And like, (laughs) fuck you, lady. Um, That didn't happen, obviously. But she does exist. And... So we share a little bit more in this episode than I'm totally comfortable with, but uh, Casilda agreed to do it. She was happy to do it, and it was very impromptu. We were just driving home from, I think she had had a, a, an appointment with a chiropractor. She's had some some health things, and this chiropractor was very helpful, and and we were talking, and she was leaving the next morning for Peru, and... It occurred to me that a lot of you are, at least a lot of you that I hear from, are at pivotal moments in your lives. You're thinking about making a change. You're you're weighing the pros and cons. Should I stay? Should I go? Should I quit this job? Should I pursue my passion? Should I take care of my parents? Should I travel? Should I settle down and get married? Should I continue to see other people? I mean, the, uh, I don't know if there's ever a moment that isn't pivotal in our lives. We talk about it as if we come to a crossroads every once in a while, but sometimes it seems to me that every moment is a crossroads. Every moment there are 360 degrees that we can step off toward. And so every step we take, we're making a decision as to what direction we're going to go. And it only looks like a path when you turn around and look back um but when you're going forward it's you're stepping into the unknown no matter which direction you go so maybe every moment is pivotal and and every point along the road is a crossroads but she's definitely at a crossroads she's come to the end of a certain very important path in her life and she's looking for uh A different way to do what she loves doing which is helping people she's you'll hear her explain it uh, better than I do so uh, I guess that's all I wanted to say Um, this is very personal for me I feel weird I feel vulnerable and exposed um, sharing this with you but what the hell we're all friends here right Before I do that, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that we're still trying to um, push the pre-sales, the pre-orders on the Tangentially Reading book. Uh, If you're thinking of ordering that, if you want one for Christmas, please order it now. Before midnight tonight, or noon tomorrow, or 4.30, I don't know, just order it. Uh, It's helping finance the the printing so uh it's especially helpful if you send us the money now uh and get the book later yeah that's how it works it's great um we decided not to do a kickstarter you know one of those things um just to sort of try to finance it on the pre-orders so it's very helpful doubly helpful if you do that and uh Mom is also standing by sending off t-shirts. She mentioned that orders have been slow recently and I should push it. And you know, when mom tells you to push, you push, right? So anyway, if you want a tangentially speaking shirt, hoodie, civilized to death, wear, sex at dawn wear, it's all there at the store. Just go to chrisryanphd.com or tangentiallyspeaking.com and you'll see the store there. Also, uh, a little housekeeping alert, Uh, Native of the North up there in Alaska has been very generously going through and doing the show notes recently. So, if you're interested in show notes, you can find those at tangentiallyspeaking.com each episode. He's going to go back and do the archives as well. So, eventually, we'll probably have show notes for everybody all the guests but at least in the in at the in the meantime he's doing them as they appear. So you'll find show notes for the last 4 or 5 episodes are up already. He normally gets to them within a day or two of when the episodes air. So okay, that's it. Thank you for your support of the podcast. Thank you for making this possible and uh for finding some time in your day to listen to these conversations. I will turn you over to Casilda Jetta and the me of a few days ago, Um, but I'm going to play you out with a song. It's one of the most beautiful songs, I think, in rock and roll history. It's been on the radio way, way too much, so you may be sick to death of it, but this is a different version um, sung by David Bowie is singing the, the first verse and then david gilmore this is a song about a conversation between a psychiatrist and a patient you know it it's called comfortably numb hello,
0: hello. is there anybody in there just not if you can hear The
1: I just opened a sierra nevada pale ale this podcast is not brought to you by sierra nevada pale ale which i am now drinking i'm here this is a very special episode it's impromptu which is a weird word it must be latin or something i don't know impromptu it sounds yes. like a latin word This is uh, a special episode because it just occurred to me in the car about 10 minutes ago that this would be a potentially interesting conversation to share with you, dear listener. I'm sitting here with my wife of 18 years, Casilda Jetta, Dr. Casilda Jetta. She's a real doctor, (laughs) unlike me, who's a fake doctor, a PhD doctor. Nah. Casilda's the kind of doctor who has touched dead bodies and cut them open and delivered babies and amputated limbs and stuck needles into liver abscesses and stuck her hands up African women's vaginas okay. and pulled out dead fetuses and all sorts of adventures that we PhD doctors <laughs> can't fucking imagine. Uh, which is why I'm so sheepish about people calling me doctor. Welcome, Dr. Jetta.
2: Well, thank you.
1: Dr. So, Jetta uh, was the uh, guest on episode 100. Yes. And this will be episode 270 something. Okay. Uh. And the reason I thought it would be interesting to do this, I, I, I think it will be a short episode. I don't want to let like, go long because really w- this is a dispatches from a transitional moment. Yes. And what I'd like to do is have this be sort of half an episode and then we'll pick up again. Okay. Down the road a few months where then we see what's going on. What's happened. Mm-hmm. So I hear I hear like a motor running. Is that the refrigerator? It's the refrigerator. refrigerator. Oh, fuck yeah. that's loud. Uh so the situation is that casilda has been living in Barcelona for the last year or so. Yes, for the last year. And Because you had things you had to do there. You had to work to make your retirement money. Yes. Coordinate all the bullshit between Portugal and Mm. Spain and whatever. And you had to be there. I had to be near L.A. because my father is ill. And so I needed to be here. So we've been doing our own thing for the last year or so. And... um, and that's led to some interesting changes. So let's talk, first of all, about what you were doing in Barcelona work-wise. Okay.
2: Uh, well, when I went back, I decided to go back again and work at the same hospital. Luckily, I found a pl- uh, the same place and the same, to work with the same. Uh, uh, director, chief, how can you say coordinador? Yeah. Coordinator. Coordinator. Director, boss, yes. boss whatever. in um, yeah. the same hospital.
1: You say luckily, but what really happened was as soon as they knew you were back, they immediately tried to hire you yes. because they uh, know you and they know how good you are with your well, patients. Uh, yes,
2: uh, well, it's true. They really like me. So I started working, which is good, because after five years of being here in the state, I kind of felt a little bit insecure if I would do, mm. going to be the same, if I could do
1: the... Uh, yeah. Well. If, if any immigration people are listening, she wasn't really in the states for five years.
2: In, well North America. North America North
0: America we were in, yes. Port,
1: we were in um, Canada, Vancouver America, for a couple of years we were in Mexico we were in Nicaragua um, LA LA a little bit uh, Portland for a while yes and all that so okay. you didn't overstay any visas no no you have to be I careful was, about this stuff I know I and know and we also have to never talk about illegal drugs because yeah. not that you've ever done them no but um, yeah no so Anyway, so you you were feeling a little insecure, insecure about getting back and being doing medicine again. Yeah, exactly. What you did and what yes. did you find.
2: That uh, it was like ride, riding a bicycle again. Yeah. It wasn't that bad? It was good. Right. I felt my confident uh, be be confident and uh, and uh, and another thing is I realized that I didn't want to, after a while, that I didn't want to do, a conventional psychiatrist anymore, conventional medicine, it was killing me. That frustration and uh, uh, yes, essentially the frustration and anger of going home, feeling like I'm not quite helping my patients, mm. came again. The that uh, long. Um, yeah. Fee, uh, frustration that I had and before you had in, the
1: past. in the past. So, talk a little bit about who your patients were in this particular case.
2: Yeah, the, in this particular case was I. I was in a in a unit in a hospital would receive uh, patients coming from prison, um, and um, they were. They, we were three units in the same in the same place. The first unit would receive the, the, would uh, welcome them and after we treat them, they would go to the second unit for rehabilitation and the third unit for the reintegration in community. Um, So I start to work at the first unit right away because my boss really wants someone to be there who, who, uh, you he could cu- 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 rely on and be right. be um, be comfortable and not uh, thinking. And, and this
1: was a guy, you, the, your boss, that you had worked with oh, for years, for years, years. In, yes. the past. in the past. Right. So, so he knew your style and yes, and your effectiveness with patients.
2: Yes, and, and he needed someone to be there to and he. So, so I you're in the first
1: unit, unit which yes. is the unit that is the the prisoners coming, coming directly, directly from, from the prison. From, yes. And, from, and so like, are these violent prisoners? Are these pickpockets? Are no, they murderers? no, 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 they, they were violent.
2: I'm sorry to be a little bit uh, nervous at this time, not as good as uh, the podcast before, but I'm a, a little bit nervous, but I will try to... <laughs> to why, explain. why are you nervous? Because it's a it's a a, a time of a transition in my life. Yeah. And uh, it seems like I'm gonna jump to the void, to the known. Okay, but you're getting, but you're getting ahead. To. Let's okay. let's stick
1: with Barcelona, okay. and then we'll talk about where you are now. Okay. Okay. So. Okay. So. So you're they, working with these in prisoners. This present,
2: they they were violent. They were uh, psychopaths. Were they sociopaths? all violent? Most of them, really. Yes, uh, they, I only had uh, three patients. They were not violent. One that would uh, that I knew, uh, the, a woman that I knew before was my patient, right. but with a really bad, uh, uh, um, personal hysterical personality disorder with psychotic crisis, and uh, that uh, no one would receive her anymore uh so she ended up ended up being there and uh, another one was a a young guy with a dysfunctional f- uh, family and uh, uh and uh started to consume cocaine in high doses so he ended up to be there too and another one was a a, a person uh, obsessive compulsive disorder but very very um Severe. Severe. Yeah, thank you. So
1: I, I, should, I don't think I said when I was talking about you being a doctor, I don't know if I said that you were a psychiatrist. Yes. But that's obvious by now, hopefully, yeah. for people. <laughs> so so almost all of your patients had a violent uh, background. That's yes. why they were in prison yes. for Yes, so or they
2: were killing their parents, mother, grandmothers, or friends, whatever. But, like, really heavy. But most of
1: them had killed somebody.
2: Oh, yes, yes, most of them.
1: Um. So, I, okay, now th- this is another one of these things. Like I was sort of joking earlier, not joking, but making light of how you've delivered all these babies and you've am- amputated limbs and you've done this and you've done that and you were working in a war zone in Mozambique and all that. Hmm. I don't know that I, I don't, I'm sure I, I know people, I'm sure I know someone who's killed people, mm-hmm. but I don't know who it is. Yeah, I I couldn't name you five people that I know who have killed people, and here mm-hmm. you've dealt with dozens or hundreds. I don't know how many patients came through your office. In that oh,
2: time. They were, it was a big unit. That unit would have uh, about uh, twenty patients, and then uh, oh more thirty, about thirty. Because I have fifteen, yeah, probably thirty or thirty-seven. Because it was uh, we were two. Right, and, and they the, were living in the unit. They were living in, and the,
1: then you have them coming and going. They move yes, on to the other yes, unit. Yes, yes, So, I mean, someone who has killed their mother is. What's that person like? Can you see it if you walk by them in the street? Would you know that they were?
2: No, no. I can see if someone has a, a, a troubled mind or acts so weird, or I can see. Or if someone has a bipolar and they acting in certain ways, or I can perceive if a person is on uh, antipsychotics, antidepressive, or mood stabilizing high doses, right. because they they show right. evidence in the right. the way they behave and their skin, they they features.
0: Right.
2: So I definitely can see, but the, the uh, those uh, patients were or people were the ones they they, they some of them they were really psychopaths uh, in a way that I could I would say they they um, they wanted to be in a mental hospital they would uh, right. Um, tell they were feeling this right. and that, or see this, and all they this. were malingering, malingering right. yes, which
1: is just a fancy word for lying in order <laughs> to get out of the prison and into yes. the mental hospital. Yes, do you remember? Have you seen the film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Yes, Nose?
2: that whole ago.
1: movie's about yes. Jack Nicholson's yes. character who isn't crazy, exactly pretending to be so he can get out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there's some very interesting scenes in that. Yeah. So so, for people who aren't familiar with this terminology, you say they're psychopaths. What's a psychopath?
2: Well, it's someone that, uh, first of all, has no empathy for other, other people. Right. And uh, uh, they, they manipulated the situation. They highly, most of them highly intelligent right. in the way they can manipulate others in the situations right. to get what they want.
1: So, it's funny because they know how people work. Oh, they they, can, the they b- can turn their dials and push their buttons, but yes. they have no empathy.
2: No empathy. And empathy at
1: all. means literally I feel what you feel. Yes. So without feeling what the other person feels, somehow they still know how to play with. They're them. very intelligent. You don't I don't know.
2: But I never seen a psychopath being uh, in a down syndrome, for example, no, right. someone they
1: are highly intelligent. Right. And they so very high IQ. Generally. IQ. And so I interviewed a guy named uh, Bruce Francis recently. You're the hmm. third psychiatrist I've interviewed hmm. or had on this podcast hmm. in the last month. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were with me with uh, yes, Kelly Brogan. With Kelly Brogan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, inter- I, I had a, a conversation with Bruce Francis, who's a very famous psychiatrist. He was the chief of the DSM. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about yes, him with Kelly talking. Brogan a little yes. bit. Yeah. Um, and he makes this, he just published a book about Donald Trump and, and American culture, and he's mm-hmm. very clear that Donald Trump is not mentally ill. He says, he says, to call Donald Trump mentally ill is an insult to the mentally ill, because mentally ill people are normally good people who are struggling with very difficult challenge. Donald Trump is not mentally ill. Donald Trump is an asshole.
2: Or a psychopath.
1: <laughs> well, that's what I'm thinking. When you describe psychopaths, he's obviously very intelligent oh, in a very limited sense. Sure. In manipulating people yes. and getting what he wants. Yes.
2: And mm-hmm. I think he has a narcissistic uh, personality disorder.
1: So you would disagree with Bruce Francis? You think yes. he has diagnosable mental illness?
2: Ah, a, perso- a, person- a personality disorder? Yes. Yes, otherwise, who would do things like he
1: does? But do you think, okay, what about Obama? Did did Obama strike you as someone who's mentally ill? No, no. But Obama killed thousands of people with drone strikes on innocent civilians. And he rounded up whistleblowers who tried to tell the truth. And he did things that that I think you and I both would consider to be very ugly and sick. Yes,
2: yes, it's true. As I, I felt disappointed I because yeah. I was for it and I love no, him. No, I know. And we were suddenly, both wearing Obama T-shirts exactly, eight years and ago. suddenly he was doing. Well, we all have personality traits of one uh, of one kind of personality disorder. For to be a personality disorder, has to feel um, uh, sufficient. Uh, Criteria. Criteria to, to, to get that di- diagnosis. But well, see,
1: but that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, to me, Obama has always struck me as an incredibly mentally healthy person. Definitely. Very psychologically balanced, healthy, yes. intelligent, decent, kind. You look at his wife and his yes. daughters. He's obviously a good guy.
2: I agree with that.
1: But as president, he did horrible things. Uh, I every think president it, does yes
2: and i think everyone does in some contest in some or in some phase of uh, uh, of uh, our lives we do uh, so things it's like that, us
1: eating pork even though we know that the pigs are being tortured
2: exactly
1: we're part of a system that's exactly. sick, and so we we behave. Yes. In a way that, from outside, people could say that's psychopathological, but within the system, we say, "Well, I'm just doing what the normal the, thing. Exactly. Anyway, I'm distracting you from what you were saying. No, but so that's... so back to Barcelona. These, the person that you were replacing, if I hmm. remember correctly, hmm. had her back broken yes. or something by yes. a patient.
2: Yes. Yes, because they were very they were dangerous uh, any psychopath or sociopath they don't want to get uh, they don't want to someone to disagree with them right they don't know how to to handle frustration they, they have zero tolerance for frustration yeah. that's another another criteria to be a psychopath right. zero uh, tolerance for uh, frustration right. so it's they pass, toward a uh, seductive um, behavior right. to uh, this uh, aggra- aggression. Right. There's so you know, they
1: try to seduce you, and if that doesn't work, then exactly
2: because there's no empathy or sympathy. So it's seduction, no, to it didn't aggression. Work? Then I'm going to take exactly. it. Exactly. You don't
1: give it to me, I'll take it. Exactly. So are psychopaths born that way? Is it a genetic thing, or is it a learned behavior, or what is that?
2: I think, Does it run uh,
1: in families?
2: I think uh, I don't think they genetic, but sometimes the family can have a psychopath.
1: Yeah, because of parenting style and parenting style. I mean, Trump's father was a prick yes, from everything
2: for other. sure. The the. Environment contributes a lot for someone to be a psychopath. Especially parenting um, and the, or the, the childhood is very important too. Yeah. But not all people with a parent or bad parenting or sure. um, they got become a psychopath. Right. So.
1: Some people go the opposite way. Exactly. They're very compassionate. So it has yeah. to
2: be with uh, with their own. Um, on a
1: character. Right. So like everything else, it's a combination a of combination. environment and genes. Exactly. So you worked in this um, this, in this this unit f- for mm-hmm. almost a year mm-hmm. uh, working with these violent, violent prisoners. Pers- mm-hmm. Do you feel like, can you make progress with a psychopath? Can you... Well, I know not all of your patients are psychopaths, no. right? But no. the one, can you... Is there a therapeutic protocol to work with a psychopath, or do you just I try think, to...
2: No, I think, first of all, you. I think n- if you feel intimidated, uh, uh, intimidated uh, when you are with them, forget about that. So you done. And you're doing all this in Spanish. In Spanish, Which yeah.
1: is one of seven languages if you well, speak hmm. that you learned in about... Yeah. Nine months when you moved to Spain to live with yes, me. Yes. Along with Catalan. I just yes. I'm bragging about my wife here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm sorry. But she moved to Barcelona, we decided to live in Barcelona together. She moved to Barcelona and within a year she had learned Spanish and Catalan and was writing medical reports in both Especially languages. Yes. Yes, and then coming home and speaking English with yes. me.
2: Yes, that was tough to go go back to work Mondays because I would m- 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 miss. Uh, uh, oh my God. I'm so yeah, nervous. Yeah, your vocabulary yes. is all mixed up. Mixed up with going the... Going back to back English. English or, and then, yes. And
1: Portuguese is your first language. Yes. You speak Italian, French, Spanish, Spanish Catalan, and, English, Portuguese, and uh, chichonga or, or something.
2: Although my is started to get lost, maybe if of I... course. And the French, yeah, if I stay right. long, I can recover.
1: And you lived in Italy for a while
2: Yes, with, your with first husband, my first husband And you lived
1: in Sweden, but you didn't learn Swedish No, yeah. no <laughs> Lazy bitch
2: <laughs> That would be <laughs> Joanna was uh, bored at the time yeah. I spent a lot of time at home With um, the wife of um, the 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 man The the person who was working with Manuel right. So she she spoke English Joanna pretty well. is uh, my daughter, daughter. Yeah
1: who just had a baby, so Cassie That's is now a now grandmother. yeah. <laughs> Fucking crazy.
2: <laughs> so, what we were talking about, about... Um, about
1: uh, the therapeutic oh, approach the per- to working yes. with these Yes, you criminals, can't be
2: prisoners. intimidated. Right. That's the key of starting to have a, a contact or a bond, if you can have a bond with a psychopath, is not to be intimidated by them. So they
1: respect power?
2: They respect power. They recognize who are intelligent or not Mm. because the whole their game is to manipulate others and they're good at that.
1: Right. So when they see someone that they're not successful in manipulating, they have respect for that? I guess so. But they must also get frustrated and angry and freaked out.
2: Yes, but if you don't show that you are afraid... They never, I, I, to be honest, I never had any, uh, bad situation or uh, with them. Mm-hmm. I, because we will walk, uh, we're, we were walking with the walkie talkie and yeah. we can press the bottom and everyone An alarm button. Alarm button. Yeah. So I never used it. They would respect. I will... Many times I was uh, being very near to them, so the physical contact, they could uh, uh, smack me right away. If, uh, no, never. In in fact, and when these they... These are all men? Most of them, yes, men. The women, I only have two women. Two women. Th- two women, no. sorry. Two women, the, the one that I already knew, and another one, very old lady, but
1: uh, a lost case. Right. So So they're all Do you think if they had been dealing with me, it would have been different dealing with a man? There would be more aggression and testing and trying to be dominant.
2: Um, We we had a colleague who had a difficult with them because he he, he wanted always to be the doctor. I'm above you. Mm. And for sure, they didn't like that. Right. Uh, Because it was confronting and make them feel small, something that they don't like. My approach, uh, I uh, follow um, another colleague that I respect a lot when I went there and had the same approach. Be on the same level like them. I'm not more than you, so let's have a conversation. But never let them intimidate me. But you
1: are, I mean, structurally, you do have much more power than them. You're but the they, doctor. You decide the drugs. You decide...
2: They what, know that. Yeah. I know that. But so we don't, don't need, need to, to to show that. That's right. the, okay. a big mistake to show that I because see. they know that.
1: So you're just like, yeah, yeah. And so you're so there the, to help them. Right, right. No. So, you don't need to, to be. No. To demonstrate dominance because no. no. it's no. already sort of. It's built already down. there, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Well, and they cool. respect I mean, that.
1: And I think that's the way it should be anyway, right? I you think need so. You don't to be an asshole. No, no. Just because you're a cop and you have a gun on your belt doesn't mean you have to be an asshole. No. In fact,.
2: You, it's the opposite. You,
1: you don't need to be an asshole because exactly. we know the gun's on your belt, you know? And you're there yeah. to,
2: protect and to protect the law and to right. protect the person, right. Right? right? At the end of the day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you did this for close to a year, yes. and uh, you were feeling increasingly frustrated.
2: Yes, because old uh, frustrations. Old frustration of uh, dealing with conventional approach of giving antipsychotics medicine. It was like putting patches. I was treating symptoms. I wasn't treating the cause. Right. Causes. So even if they were psychopaths, they they had families. They had things to work yeah. and. Yes, we can work in them. Some they can be, uh, they can have, uh, they can be integrated again in the society and uh, behave well, because uh, they're not going to be empathic with others, but they can behave well. They can recognize limits and um, accept uh, limits too. So.
1: So they can never learn empathy. No. No. So the best they can do is sort of like, I I mean, it's like, I, I think about dancing, how some people you put on the music and they just dance. Yes. And other people, they look at their feet and they go one, two, one, two. Yes. And they're doing like they're they're doing a dance that they're yes. like you always talk about your grandmother how hmm. she taught you to cook by yes. just tasting. taste and, uh, and other people look at a recipe of, yes so a psychopath basically what you're trying to teach them is the recipe, the recipe for how to live yes because they'll never they be don't able to feel do it by they taste. they
2: dance by following the one two three they right. don't feel the music right but right. if they can follow if the recipe. the
1: rules and they want to follow exactly. them, they can be okay. Exactly. Right.
2: And how many psychopaths can, uh, can, have a, can be a CEO? And they're good at oh,
1: that. Oh, well, yeah. There's a book called The Psychopath Test, I think, yes. by John Ronson. Exactly. I'm or is it Ron Johnson? The, I don't remember. Um, but, but yeah, I re- yes, he it's found a, that the, the psychopaths are highly represented among CEOs yes, and politicians. Exactly, and because
2: they know how military to.
1: Military people, exactly. officers. Yeah. Yeah. They're very intelligent. Right. And they know how to manage
2: people. And they know
1: how to manage people. So and they're, they're willing know. to do things that oh, other people yes. wouldn't be willing to exactly. do. Exactly. Yeah. Makes the world go round. <laughs> Psychopathology exactly. makes the world World's go, go round. That's yeah. a, there's a t-shirt. Which I Order agree. Order chrisryanphd.com. <laughs> Mom will send it out to you this yes. week.
2: And go back <laughs> to that, uh, what you asked about mental heal. So mental illness. illness. So I agree. Not mental heal. Ill. heal Mentally hill, ill. Hill, mentally ill. Tisilda sticks oh my an God. H in
1: and where there, yes, is no,
2: there is not. there is not
1: Air, hair. We have yes. a friend named Erin. She calls her Heron.
2: Heron, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Your daughter does that too, though. Yes. It's a very I weird thing. I think it's very Portuguese. We Portuguese do that. Ah, you add an H. An H, yeah. It's like the Spanish add the, the eh, eh. yes. Two words that begin with S. Yes. S-spaghetti. E spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah yeah oh uh, well, I think i respect people with uh, who are mentally Ill, Ill ill mentally ill um and they're not uh, and yes it's another 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 group yeah and that's the group that I really like to work with Psychopath or oh, not psychopath? No. psychotics psychotics and yeah. uh, or people with um mind disorder brain disorder right. mentally yeah
1: so explain the difference between neuro neurosis and psychosis well uh, a psychotic person um,
2: by definition they don't uh, have they they have a schism in their brain right no? they they too they don't uh, act in in communion the their um, what they feel and
1: what the other uh, and the worlds around them. So is it a is it a, a schism in a physiological sense that some section of the brain is not communicating with others, or is it, it could more a be with a schizophrenic.
2: Sense? The schizo schizophrenia is the paradigm of all psychiatry. And the, the, by definition, is the, it's the schism. Yeah, the whole right. psychosis. And right. by definition, there's the, the schism of the mind-brain.
1: It's the schism of the person from accepted reality. Exactly. So these are the people we see on the streets talking to themselves yeah. and, and doing Yeah, and they weird. can
2: connect their reality with the, this reality.
1: Right. But you said something very beautiful to me once about the way you approach psychotics, which is, and I've seen you do this both Hmm. in the mental hospital where you were working in Portugal Hmm. and in India and places Hmm. where we were traveling, Hmm. that like you, when you relate to somebody who's psychotic, you Hmm. often connect to them by laughing. Yes. Because, and you explained this to me, because when I first saw you doing this, I thought, like, that was the worst possible thing you could do, <laughs> hmm. laughing at someone who's crazy. But I'm
2: not laughing at them, I'm, I'm laughing with them. I
1: understand. And that's mm. what you explained to me, mm. that that they know. Oh, sure. Part of them, and this is the schism, yes, I guess, exactly. that part of them is watching them act crazy. Exactly. Which can connect with the other
2: part to uh, to to come in a sort of a consensual way to this world or connect with the others.
1: So by acknowledging how funny and weird the situation is, you're actually connecting to the part of them that yes. you want to be connecting exactly. to that's the part you can talk to. Exactly. With. Yeah.
2: Because they feel uh they already feel alienated by society. Right. But the rules of society everything is so ruled and they can't fit on that. Right. So why don't we go to their world? Right. And they, if you connect with, with and they feel
1: safe. But when you go to, I, see this, I think this gets to something really deep um, that maybe you don't understand about normal people. Hmm. When, when, and by normal people, I don't mean that. I know. Yes. know positively or negatively. Hmm. You're not normal. Yeah, I'm not no. i not normal either, no. but you're not normal in different ways. But I think most people, when they see someone hmm. on the street who's you know yelling at, hmm. and talking to someone that's hmm. not there and all mm-hmm. dirty and you know yeah. like obviously what you know yeah. crazy what yeah. we call crazy, yeah. it's it's scary. It frightens us. Yeah. And one of the re- it frightens us because we don't we can't predict their behavior. Yeah. And so there's this miss. Uh, misunderstanding or mis- mis- misrepresentation that psychotic people are violent, whereas they're not. in fact they're in much, fact, it's much less exactly. violent than just so-called normal, normal
2: people. people. Yeah. Exactly. They kill less than normal people.
1: Right. So, but I think what what scares us is that we can't predict their behavior, right? They're not, I mean, they're talking to someone who's not there. There's, yeah. There are things happening that we we don't, share because there's Well, no, we yes. Because there's no shared reality, we don't We know can't what the predict. Fuck is going exactly. Yeah.
2: We we can't predict because we we can't share their own uh reality.
1: Right. Right. But they're not dangerous. Right. But the, so they're not dangerous. That we agree with that. Yeah. Uh but they're scary because they're they They can be scary
2: because they they can be scary to someone who we're afraid of them. Yeah. They're not, I mean, I don't see them scary unless they are psych, having a psychotic break that we have yeah. to... Where they to, can um, uh, be
1: violent. Exactly. Okay, but, but my point was that you, what I, what I was getting at is that something I think you don't necessarily understand is that you said earlier when you see someone like that, why not go to their world? Hmm. And I think that's I mean, that's, a, that's exactly right, of course. Yeah. But it's something that very, very few psychiatrists do, and yeah. very few normal, even fewer normal, yes. you know, non-psychiatrists yes. do, because we're afraid if we go to their world, we'll get stuck there. Unfortunately, yes. And I,
2: I, I say unfortunately not for normal people. I can understand normal people don't act in that way, but unfortunately most of... My colleagues, they are afraid of going there. Right. What they want is for them to come to our world, right, right. and and that's
1: a big mistake. But isn't that the objective as a psychiatrist? Aren't you trying to bring them to the normal, so-called normal world?
2: <sighs> well, maybe. But what I learned when I was in the residency um, uh, was the main thing is to understand the person. Right. It's uh, the main, uh, the main objective, the main goal is to understand that person and therefore to help them to uh, get out of their misery. Right. Right. So... um, uh, what, that was what I learned. But yes, you're right. What I saw when uh, I went to uh, to live in in Spain, my colleagues most of them, not all, I have to say, but most of them, I could see they were trying to bring that person to this reality, and like insisting and talking in a way that they wouldn't understand. And they ended up to say, okay, yes, 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 because right. there's a authority, okay, right. and take this medication. and
1: But there's no real connection. No. Yeah.
2: And to be honest, most of, of uh, psychotics that I know, and I take my hat for that, they mm. wouldn't take even half of the medication of the, my, my, my cows would give them. Because if they don't respect... And to say, yes, 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 they would take whatever they feel like it, whatever they feel that it's good for their symptoms, and they, they know. Mm-hmm. So they would lie. Say, oh, yeah. you took that? Yes, yes, they didn't take it. Right. They take another, or sedatives, or Xanax, or another things. Okay,
1: so a lot of uh, people like me, and Stanley, and hmm. people who studied shamanism, hmm. there's this idea that psychosis is related to a shamanistic state hmm. Hmm. and that shamans are psychotics who their community has helped come through the psychotic episode or or has helped them integrate a psychotic uh, experience and so they're able to move between worlds and then they become healers because they're able to move between these worlds from a psychiatric perspective do you think that's all bullshit or do you see value in reality No, there?
2: I I see value but when you say when I see uh, when I say psychotic someone who doesn't have doesn't they can connect one reality to other reality a shaman shaman can travel from one reality to another reality and he knows that he's traveled from right. one reality to another reality. So can
1: community support help someone reach that state, or or are we talking about two totally different types of people, do you think? I think
2: schizophrenia is real. I think there's uh, 1% of population, I don't know, but yeah. that we can't, uh, see them as a shaman. They they are psychotic. They can't connect with the other reality. Right. But I also think that there are people who travel from one reality to another reality, and they they not being understand for normal people. They doing that, and they are labeled uh, as a psychotic pe- people.
1: So they're different. They they they're people who are. Unable to connect the two realities. That's the 1% roughly yes, that seems yes. to appear in every, every culture. culture. It's not culturally yes. dependent. No. But then there are a lot of people who are just having trouble. Yes. And in our society get labeled as psychotic. Yes. And yes. drugged and yes. sent away. Yes. And that's totally unnecessary. Exactly. And they can be helped.
2: Exactly. I I see in that way. Right. Right. And I, I, I had patients like that.
1: Sure. Yeah. So... Okay, so for the last year, you've been in Barcelona applying patches and...
2: And you asked me the difference between uh, psychosis and neurosis.
1: Oh, geez, that was a long time ago. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> That's why it's tangentially <laughs> <laughs> speaking. speaking. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, well, and the other the other uh, kind of what so we call neurosis, mm-hmm. which today we don't use that term anymore. Oh, really? No, it mm-hmm. uh, was uh, back in the days now we call them um, bipolars the depre- major depression and so on so oh. all those the freudian times that we were having the neurosis right, and, right. right. but that kind of uh, that we which is the biggest pull are the people who are connected with this world but they are they are um, um they don't fit very well in this world because they, not because they, uh, they, they don't have, uh, how can I say, they, they have, they are, it's like they are dysfunctional per se. Dysfunctional. Dysfunctional per so se. So they
1: don't fit in this world. Do, does anyone fit in this world? I don't think so. I don't
2: think in a civilized world for sure. Right. So are we all neurotic? Most of us tend to be neurotic if we, li- if we live in a stressful uh, co- uh, right.
1: environment. So most, I mean, I know there are crazy statistics in America that uh, I kind of forget what it is, but it's well over half hmm. uh, Americans will suffer from mental illness at some point in yes, their lives. Yes. So, and but mental illness, of course, gets defined larger and larger so now kids who don't sit still in school have mental illness people who grieve for more than three months when their mother dies of mental illness yes it's
2: nuts it's that's why i say the the neurotics are the 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 big the majority the majority but but it's caused by something by a sick society society. stress any stress and we deal with stress right. since we were born in right. the society. Even I, re- like I read taking something today. Hmm. There's
1: something on Twitter that it hmm. said, happiness is not having no problems. Happiness is having problems you know how to solve.
2: Definitely. And it,
1: it occurred to me, you think about hunter-gatherers. I was thinking about the peanut hmm. mm-hmm. you know, this book I read. And they and laugh about thinking, everything. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. And it, why do they laugh about everything? It's because... They know how to deal with stuff. It's the I, same shit I that can, happens to them. Happened to their father. Yes, happened to their grandfather. You know me.
2: You knew me when I when you met me. I would laugh about everything, right? Mm. Because in Africa, we laugh about everything. Right. We joke about uh, about our suffering, and we we ridiculeize ourselves and others, and nobody gets serious nobody about that. Takes, takes, too, serious, seriously, takes yeah. too serious. Right. Otherwise, it's, it's harsh to, to take to serious, especially when you have a poor uh, um, um, scarcity. And in Africa, we, I, you have a lot of people living in a poor, scarce uh, environment. Right. And they're happy. Right. And uh, if you go there, how can they be happy? They make fun of themselves. They're happy. Yeah. So happiness they is they really not happy, a state
1: or are they pretending to be happy?
2: I think they are happy. They are happy. They it, because happiness not they, a state is is a is a, a movement that you a create behavior. a behavior. Right. So they are happy and they would they they couldn't have anything to to eat but play some music and they they would dance and be mm. happy right. and share with others.
1: Right. Well that reminds me of the um, the book I've mentioned on this podcast many times, and and is in this I talk about in "Civilized to Death," a "Paradise Built in hmm. Hell," this disaster socialism hmm. that shows, or uh, socialism disaster sociology Hmm-hmm. that shows that in disasters people are happy. Yes, even though there's death and there's starvation and there's suffering and there's all this terrible stuff happening, the people who survive it are actually really happy because they have connection they have community they have meaning they have and these these elements that are meaning, so important to meaning a good is life. important because right. they
2: feel they are necessary. They're, necessary they're helping they're helping right so mean is is all i think if we have a meaningful life we're happy yeah it yeah doesn't matter if we have a I lot agree. of money or we have problems uh, uh, at home you know i i mm, i had patients with they were having Family families with problems and uh, the disorders and so, but they were happy. Yeah, at the end of because it was meaningful. They exactly right, and they yeah. would be depressed yeah. when that uh, uh, meaningful um, situation disappeared for a while, right. or lost the job they like right. they liked, or lost the husband or wife. Right. So that would be the pre- but if they have a meaningful life, they they could carry their own burden.
1: No, this was supposed to be a short episode. Well, it's, and it's your forty-five fault. minutes You already. asked me how to- <laughs> <laughs> So okay, so okay. you you were in Barcelona. You were hmm. doing this work. You're getting frustrated with medicine because yes. you're feeling like I'm just giving
2: pills, pills, yes. pills, not causing, uh, treating the cause or okay. not helping. But people. if the cause now, you,
1: hmm. you we've said hmm. the cause of a lot of this maybe not of the psychopaths uh-huh. but of neurosis. Yes, is society. Society, hmm. and we're not treating we can't no. change society no. so what does a mental health professional do when you say you are you are suffering because you it's it's like your foot hurts because yeah. it doesn't fit into this shoe yes but the shoe is fucked up the shoe is I not agree. the shape of a foot I agree. And so as a mental health professional is your job to say here take these pills so you can jam your foot into this fucked up shoe or is your job to say, don't wear shoes?
2: Well, I definitely, I mean, most of us would uh, say, take the spills to or to inject uh, to the, uh, the this for the shoe can fit you. Right. Yeah, because it's an easier way to treat and they would go home and, and go back uh, to back work, work and, and like, nothing. Yeah. It was everything. And they would fit Perfectly in a society, and they they would have their their life and joy and uh, all the trivial situations, which I never. And you know me, I never belong to that to that group. Right. So, and luckily, there's not a lot, but some of us. Uh, I don't know in oh. Spain, but here for sure, I met people like me. But it's like you can. You can uh, you can teach someone to clean their house, even if uh, the other houses around are dirty. You can teach them mm. to clean their own house right. and recognize what is good for them and avoid to get other uh, get dirty like others or mm. to get contaminated by others. Mm. It's a, it's a, it's a work. It's a mentally work, and it's challenging for them. Right, right. But I had patients that I approach with uh, like this, and they would uh, take serious, and they would be uh, be engaged in this way. And, They're they're not, unfortunately, there are not a lot of them, because, yeah, I can see that uh, at some point it's tiresome to do all this work, and then what? Go back and the same mother was not uh, helping us and everything, so many people... And and it's
1: not just keep your own house clean while the others are dirty, it's also that the the air is dirty, and the dust comes through the windows and under the doors, and the water is dirty, and... It's very, very difficult.
2: It is very difficult. But there were the patients that I would have a um, pleasure to treat right. because they would uh, come frequently to my uh, to the appointment because they wanted someone to yeah. boost them, to get them uh, uh, to boost and recognize what they're doing. And they would go back and right. continue. To, uh, they st- it's a struggling. It's a challenging. Yeah. No doubt about that. Yeah. But. I think if everyone could challenge in that way and struggle in that way maybe bit by bit we can change a lot of things in society or at least yeah. the family. I remember some families that uh, um I started to uh, to work with the families uh, of my patients too because I I realized that it wasn't enough to help them. So I decided that once a month I would have psychotherapy with the family and with the patient because right. I always said, and that was very important for the patient. Look, you are my patient, not others, not your family. So everything that I would say to a, pa- a family, you, you're gonna be present and you're gonna, it's your section, not your family, but your family has to be uh, involved in right. this. And they would agree. Right. Because if you don't uh, say uh, make in this way, do you create uh, um, conflict, conflict yeah. and uh, discomfort? No, sure. they not trust you anymore because right. what are you can well, did you say this to my mom right, and I'm right. not there right. now. So right. the patient will be involved, and in uh, some cases, or I don't remember, but in quite few cases, I remember that I could the family would, uh, behavior would, uh, would change. Right. And everybody would feel, feel happy. Right. And uh, they would feel happy to come for the monthly um, appointment and uh, tell what was going on. Mm. And they would feel included. And the whole environment would uh, change. And right. the relationship with the couples would change. Right. So that helps. Yeah. And maybe... In a bigger scale later, if right. more psychiatrists like, like uh, people like me would do this work, maybe we could integrate, okay, a uh, monthly with the neighbors or with yeah. the community. Right, right. So it can spread out. Spread out. Right. Because right. I could see changing in small scales right. with patients and their family.
1: Right. So there, there are two things that, I mean, there are two. Um, You know, we were saying you're playing patches and that's what you're frustrated Mm. by. And on the one side, which we've been talking about is like, okay, you're trying to like help a a fish be healthy in Mm. a poison river. Yes. And that's very difficult. Very difficult. But as you say, if you can spread it into the family and maybe into the workplace. Exactly. Because you also, in addition to psychiatry, you also have a specialization in In occupational occupational medicine. medicine. So you've worked in... workplaces Workplaces, and helping them you know sort of design a workplace that's more psychologically healthy and inclusive and blah 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 okay so that's that's a very interesting point the other source of frustration i imagine is separate from society Hmm. when you're just giving someone antidepressants and Hmm. sending them home you're not really getting to the source of the problem within the individual yes
2: and they, that's why they ended up to not respect the, the the medical doctor because they knew it's like okay I'm going there for getting pills and the the, the doctor said how you feel today oh are you less or more depressed oh more depressed so take more this mm. oh, better okay you can reduce Right, it's like and tuning this,
1: a fucking radio yes, or something yes and people
2: right. are not uh, they, they're intelligent they know what uh, it's like uh, yeah. they ended up not respect right. them that doctor bullshit. exactly
1: right. right so uh so there are ways to even if we can't like f- deal with changing the world hmm. there are still ways that we can work with individuals or, oh, yes. or couples On a much more profound level, that that all this medicalization is actually stopping. Yes. So that is, I would say, that's the primary source of your frustration. Yes. Yes. Because you're not trying to change the world. No. Yeah. No.
2: And uh, I did that work, and before we came here, no, six years ago, I was doing that work with uh, a lot of. Patients with uh, with success with a right. lot of patients. Because so, you
1: were in, a, I should explain. You were yeah. in a situation where you were. You and another doctor were sort we were of running two, this yes. mental hospital. And
2: each of us, we have a, a team. You had a team. Uh, of a psychologist, right. one psychologist, uh, two occupational therapy, one social worker.
1: Right. And some nurses. So, uh, nurses and nurses. And you were basically free. Once, after uh, you'd yes. been there for a while, yes. you were free to do whatever you wanted. Yes, because. because the big directors because, were thrilled because yes. you were saving lots of money for the yeah. company because you weren't. No, prescribing medications no 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 in fact your whole thing i
2: wash out all the medication when they were coming for
1: me right your yeah. your whole thing as a psychiatrist is to get people off medication, yes, so you can yes. actually yeah. deal with them yes and, and he
2: he called me when i called i was afraid of what i've done
1: you thought you were going to get yes. fired or something
2: yes and uh, he showed me the graphic and literally the graphic was a pic like a A line going down. down.
1: Yes, it's a peak. Since you came here, we have spent less and less and less money. Yes. So good for you. Keep doing what you're doing.
2: And then I took advantage to do what I was doing. Right. So you have a
1: very eclectic approach to... Managing patients. Yes. Yeah. And
2: I, I love that right. the, that kind right. of approach. And going back and do the same work, but in a hospital, mm. I would not be able to do what I was free to do a long time ago. Right. But still, I would, uh, since uh, the, pharma, the, the, the pharmacy mm. there knew me before, it was the same woman, and uh, a lot of people knew, so I could get with some Patients, even if it was a, a unit uh, would receive uh, dangerous people with some patients, I would do that. Right. Because another another rule is you, you only can help someone if they are open to be helped. Right. So, and some were, I could help in this way, so I would uh, feel joy and uh, I would take advantage of that. But... Uh, on, uh, on the other hand, I was uh, tight because I had to uh, give pill it 's a uh, an hospital yeah. it 's a hospital it 's not uh, the inv- the, uh, the environment that I was before, so I got fr- that reminder of my old frustration's like no stop i don 't want to to work as a conventional psychiatrist anymore i don 't want this the, this so I
1: quit. Mm-hmm. So you came to the end of the road. Yes. And now you're. How old are you? I'm
2: fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. 57. But I have you to speak. Still think,
1: got Brandon. carded yes. at Trader Joe's the other day.
2: Yes. And believe I don't know why. Well, mm-hmm. I can't complain, but yes.
1: So you're fifty-seven. And and this gets to why I really wanted to do this podcast driving home tonight, because I was thinking about how many emails I get from people who listen, hmm. who are in their 20s or maybe their 30s, hmm. and they're they're afraid because whatever they were doing, they feel like it's not working anymore.
2: I can understand because I think I'm... A- I'm I'm 57, but I think I'm in that path. I feel like I'm in my 20s. I don't have kids to to raise. I don't have a a house to pay mortgage. I don't have. I'm free, and I quit my job, and I want to to jump and do another things. I'm afraid, and I'm nervous. It's true.
1: And and so that's what I wanted, that's why I, I thought it would be great to talk to you tonight and, and let you sort of share this with people because I think the the mistake we make is that we think that this hmm. this situation mm-hmm. is something that only happens when we're young. Mm. Because it is for most, most people. Most people, yes. Because most people, as they get older, they stop taking risks and they stop, they they stop that is getting older when
2: someone stopped taking risks for me it's to get older i right. don't want to be in that group
1: right well and and let's face it most people your age they have to they would have just kept giving pills
2: yes i know i know
1: right and i, I feel college, compassion for that mortgage, exactly and they have all those pressures yes. And they're tired, exactly. And they're afraid. And it's yes. been thirty years since they did anything new. And now they're the director or they're the boss. But or that's
2: accommodation. The- There's two different things uh, here. I can. I feel. I feel sympathy for people who can't or are trapped in this kind of situation. People are having uh, uh, families issues and uh, bills to pay, houses, blah blah they feel they are trapped. It's true. They can't uh, jump in the void like I'm doing now. I definitely understand. I feel compassion for the, uh, that kind of people. Yeah. But I don't feel compassion where, when we don't jump. We don't do that because we accumulate it. We, oh, we have a good salary. We accumulate So don't take risks. So just get it. we comfortable. Just uh, having our routine Go back and then, but we criticize. We criticize everything. We're unhappy because of this and that. But we don't take. No, those people. I don't feel sympathetic.
1: Yeah. Do you know the song "Comfortably Numb"?
2: Yes, by uh, Pink, yeah, Floyd, Pink Floyd. Which yeah. is
1: which is actually the voice singing is a psychiatrist. Yeah, a lot of it. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. This will keep you going for, for the show. show yeah come on it's time to <laughs> go. go um yeah i mean the difference what is the difference between comfort and numbness Not, no, nothing nothing it's just the lack of feeling yes and you can call it comfort you can Again, call it numbness, numbness. Yes. it's the same thing yes it's like we were saying the other night what's the difference between excitement and fear
2: it's the same we choose the the white or the black
1: wolf. Right, you can choose, choose to feed the black, the black wolf, wolf or, or the white, white wolf. wolf. Yeah. yeah, so you've chosen to to not be comfortably numb. You're flying to Peru tomorrow.
2: Yes, which I'm really nervous.
1: You're very nervous about. Yeah. You're flying to Peru. We have some contacts down there. You're going to be... Talking with um, native healers and see the traditional approach and look at the traditional approach to healing that they have, and uh, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. It depends who you meet and who they tell you what they tell you, and blah blah blah. It might be a month, it might be three Three months, months. it might be five years, it might be the rest of your life. Who (laughs) Who knows? knows? Yeah. And you're 57 years old, and you're a grandmother. Yes. And you're doing this crazy thing that 27 Mm -hmm. year olds are afraid to do. Yes. Yeah.
2: Or or others would be say, "I'm doing a crazy thing."
1: But see again, that's one of those definitions, right? Crazy mm. or bold. Yes. You know, they're they're synonyms. They're just they mean the same thing. Yes. It's just the different framing. Framing, yes. Um, you know, some people would say you're crazy to have left a job where you were making yes. good money and you were comfortable and other people would say Well, my boss didn't
2: understand why I I uh, wanted to quit. Of course.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you're crazy to stay or you're crazy to leave. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think you're crazy to stay. In my experience, you're always crazier to stay in something because we live our lives as if we're going to live forever. You know? It's yeah. it's such a mistake that we make so often. Like, oh, I'll just spend another ten years doing this, and then I'll retire, and and then what? And You'll that's die, the sort of chronicle disease.
2: We chronically heal when we uh, follow that path. Okay, we're gonna stay right. in this. So. It's the path that we started to feel chronic pain, arthrosis, and so on, and we started to take a and lot we of... We develop addictions and, exactly. and all sorts of weird compulsive exactly. behaviors
1: because we're, we're empty.
2: Yes, and we started to lose uh, uh, mental ability to do right. other things, right. and we're not young right. anymore. Right. And maybe that's why people think I'm young. I'm not young, but yes, my behavior is uh, as, a, as a young person.
1: Right, right. So, it's kind of like what you were saying about happiness in Africa. It's like you choose to be happy, you behave, you dance, because there's music playing even though you're hungry, and you'll be happy.
2: Exactly. You choose. Yes.
1: So, you're choosing to be young.
2: I choose to be young, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Although, I'm very... I'm afraid. Well, young people are afraid, right? I mean, I
1: remember... Being 20, flying off to India for the first time by myself, I was fucking terrified.
2: Was you? Fuck
1: yeah. And I was a, I was a man, you know? And
2: yes, I, I, but you're quite strong.
1: I was faking it. I was <laughs> pretending I wasn't afraid until I was there for a, a couple of weeks, and then I realized, oh, actually, there's nothing to be afraid of, hmm. and then... I could let it go, but mm-hmm. at the beginning, I was faking it, sure. I told you the story about how yes. I, I had mace with me. I yes. had a can of mace because yeah. I was afraid I was going to be attacked yeah. and I, I was coming from New York where yeah. I was scared <laughs> of everything. Yeah, I mean, I just think that's the way it works, you know. Yeah. Any transition is creates fear because you're going to the unknown and then you get there and you look around and you say, oh, this is, well, this is no big deal because... Yeah. You know, when you see it, yeah. then you see it. It's what scares you is when you can't see it. Yes. It's like walking yes. through the dark. You, yeah. you imagine there are monsters yes. and then you turn on the lights. They're and oh, No, they're never yes. fucking monsters, yes. you know? Yes. So it's just the imagination. But it's good. I think it's a really good exercise. It's like you're doing a, the sort of psychological equivalent of jumping in a cold river yes like which we, I, uh, we, we did, did.
2: river and lakes freezing we and wim hof, beautiful we wim wim hof wim hof of, the shit out of oh that, yes thanks to Wim Hof. <laughs> we were wim hof and, oh yes yeah.
1: <laughs> all right so the next episode with casilda will very likely be recorded in peru
2: yes i hope so she'll
1: be in iquitos if anyone is listening to this in iquitos and wants to uh hang out with cassie drop me an email and i'll put you in touch okay uh, i know we have at least one listener yes, martin, martin in peru yes, who's I, already, which i
2: i finished yesterday
1: He finished his, the, manuscript. his manuscript so that's the beauty of this podcast i think i mentioned uh, i don't know a couple episodes back that cassie was going to peru and i got an email from this guy saying hey I live in Peru. What a
2: beautiful person.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he does seem like a beautiful guy. Oh, yes, and the beautiful journey. And he's married to a Peruvian woman. He's been living there a long time, and he wrote a book about his experiences, and he sent it to us, and Cassie's been reading it, and I read it. I read it already. It's fantastic. Very good. So you'll be meeting Martin and his wife. I hope so. And uh, anyone else in Peru who wants to say hello to Casilda, or anyone who knows... Has contacts down there in healing centers? No, or yeah, um, that would be good. Uh, you want to study plant medicine and if I can. Uh, herbal healing yes. and nutrition and yes, all, basically what Casilda is doing is wants to um, complement her medical training with uh, with yeah. a lot of stuff that's been going on yeah. in Latin America for a long time.
2: At least doing the psychiatry in you know, a holistic way,
1: right? Right. Yeah. Stop with the
2: pills and the
1: Stop with the pills, yes. Right. Yeah. All right, Dr. Jetta, thank you for doing this.
2: Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Although I didn't count on this podcast because oh, yeah. we were in the car. It's okay, let's do it. Yeah, Yeah, but yeah. it was good. I thought it was shorter, but <laughs> yeah, no. now I'm going to... Continue to pack.
1: Packing. Fast. Yeah. All right. Cassie's going to go pack. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll Thank catch you. you next episode, everybody. Thank you for hanging out. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast and are financially able, go to patreon.com and search for Tangentially Speaking. You enter your credit card, tell them you want to give me a buck, five bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 200 bucks. And then they'll just automatically ding your credit card and you don't have to think about it again. Uh, If you don't have uh, the money to do that, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Tell your friends about the podcast. Write a review on iTunes or just enjoy the podcast. It doesn't matter. I want to thank Basin and Range for that intro music. The song's called Bright Side of the Sun. And you can check them out at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast, you can go to Reddit where there are a few thousand people chatting about the podcast. Uh, I drop in and answer questions, post photos, uh, whatever. Pretty cool community there. Another forum where you can meet fellow listeners to this podcast is at ta, no, sorry, tspeaking.boardhost.com. This has been set up by listener... To enable people to um, register, and uh, their different states and countries, so you can find people who live near you, get together, have a beer, smoke a bowl, eat some mushrooms, dance under the moonlight. However, you celebrate these things, you'll find uh, like-minded spirits on that. It's again, it's t speaking dot boardhost. Dot com. And uh, if you want to get some t-shirts, we have the Civilized to Death shirts, Sex at Dawn shirts, Tangentially Speaking shirts. They're all in my mom's garage. She will get them out to you in a jiffy. Julie, my mom, is one of the most efficient people you will ever meet. So you can find those on my website. That Chris Ryan, chrisryanphd.com, tangentiallyspeaking.com, whatever. You'll find them. Just look in the store there. If you want to buy some other t-shirts from the same manufacturer, that's Shore Design t t-shirts. They are fantastic. I know I say this is an ad-free podcast, uh and this could be construed as an ad, but Sure Design T-shirts have been supporting this podcast since its inception. Bennett, who was the dude there, decided he was going to support the podcast. He sent me a bunch of shirts uh at an extreme discount to uh, help us out. Since Bennett died, the people who took over suredesigntshirts.com uh have decided to continue giving us the same deal that Bennett gave us. So be sure to use the discount code CTD, as in civilized to death, when you order anything from them and you'll get 20%. 20% Two zero twenty percent off your entire order. That's the discount code CTD, and that's at suredesign shirts.com. Thank you to Carcy Blanton for the song you're about to hear. You can check her out at Carcyblanton.com. She performed this little ditty, especially for us. Sounds like she was sitting in her garage. You can hear the birds chirping. The song is called Smoke Alarm, and it's a reminder to live now because you're going to die one day. This is for you guys, Bennett and Justin.
3: Miss you. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day.